Hello, I'm Alistair. And I'm Khalid. Welcome to Season 10, Episode 5 of Seen From Above, an informal podcast about the cool things happening in Earth Observation. Check out seenfromabove.org for the podcast archive and show notes. Follow the show on Twitter via at EOSeenFrom and using the hashtag SeenFromAbove. In this episode, we talk about the current issues around recruitment. Hang on, you're not Andrew. Uh, no, I'm not Andrew. <laughs> uh, um, my name is Khalid and I'm, um, I'm a chief scientist at a uh, geospatial startup in London. Cool. Welcome to the podcast. Yes, so Andrew is on a little break for the summer and so we're just going to have a quick chat today with Khalid. Do you want to just quickly say something about Sensa as you're on here? Of course, how long do I have? Um, <laughs> no, look, um, we're a geospatial tech startup. Um, we do all sorts of fun things, mainly fly drones, capture data, turn them into 3D. We also have our platform that can render very large data sets, bring in point clouds and all the geospatial data sets and CADs. And then the fun part, we do AI with it. Cool. So let's do the news on the 28th of July, 2021. My first little bit of news is that RSGIS Lib version 5 is coming out soon. Uh, so I saw this on Twitter, and I don't know if you've used RSGIS Lib or if your uh, analysts use it, but it's a really powerful piece of open source software for doing all sorts of um, Earth observation and GIS tooling and, and analysis and things like that. Hopefully there'll be more information about that actual release by the time we come to the next mm. podcast. We use it quite a lot, um, like bits and bobs of it um, cool. you know, in the background. So yes, uh, it's quite helpful. Awesome. We can just move on to the second piece of news. I thought this was quite interesting. So I came across this mm. uh, through the eurocy.eu site. The city of Vienna is looking at adapting its urban planning in light of climate change and is using satellite imagery to support that. And I thought that was quite cool because quite often, usually through Twitter, I get quite sort of worked up about the fact that Earth observation is still very much a project-based thing and there's mm. not so many services. I mean, there are services out there, but quite often things sort of go so far and then don't go any further. And I thought this was awesome that mm. a city as using earth observation data in order to try and help out in terms of their planning so they're, they're using heat vulnerability maps that's right yeah after reading this article i mean i actually wanted to know more about exactly what they were doing yes. uh, <laughs> with the earth observation stuff it'd be really interesting to see whether if they're successful in terms of whatever the uh, ultimate end goal is that they're trying to do with this it'd be really interesting to see whether other cities start to pick up on that i mean i'm guessing the obvious one would be if it works in vienna then other cities in austria will start to use mm. this type mm. of uh, information given that some of the data that's being used is open data, so it's Sentinel data and Landsat data, it'd be really mm -hmm. nice to see that actually this could be sort of rolled out at multiple different cities. And then my final bit of news for this episode is I, I wanted to basically do something different. And quite often, Andrew and I talk about the fact that we are very focused on North America and Europe. And usually it's a language thing for us because we're always looking for news items in English. And because we're looking on social media, generally, we start to look within our own bubble and find the same news stories over and over again. So I thought I would try and look a little bit outside that. And I came up with a company called Fregata Space, uh, which is a startup in Colombia that was started last year. And 
it just looks really interesting. I mean, they're a remote sensing startup. There's not a lot more you can say about it in that they're doing the usual things, that they're using uh, satellite data and AI and things like that to look at various different things. But one of the things that was quite interesting is they're trying to monitor pollution levels. I actually particularly quite like the fact that um, there's a lot of academics involved in this particular project that they were working on. So they got students involved. Once again, yes, it would have been nice to, to know a little bit more about exactly what was going on. This is the thing about so the news that you actually see in here, you normally get to hear about big data, you know, yeah. visualization tech and machine learning. And then, um, well, tech geeks like us, we, we want to know a little bit more. Okay, fine. I know I, it can, it's possible. And it's amazing that you're actually doing it. Now give me the meaty part. I think it's about a time that they started to sort of use Earth observation, especially in that, in that region as well, that uh, they're looking at contamination. Also knowing the whole startup life by just them starting last year and being able to sort of throw news like that, it, it's actually quite, quite nice to hear. Cool. And I think... We'll wrap up there for the news. In this episode, I wanted to talk with Khaled about some of the issues around recruitment. And this is probably going to have a UK slant to it, but I think looking at various different things on LinkedIn and Twitter, that it's probably a global issue as well. It's really born of the fact that there seems to be so many job adverts out there at the moment for geo developers in particular, but all sorts of different skill sets around EO. And the EO industry has been crying out for more data and more cloud processing for a couple of decades. And that's sort of been delivered and and is just a case of, okay, now we're all crying out for it. Now we need more people to be able to build the infrastructure and the analytics workflows and mm. pipelines in order to get going. So are you finding similar sorts of things when you look on LinkedIn and Twitter? Oh, absolutely. I think it's been tough for a while, especially looking for particular skill set of geospatial developers. To to be honest with you, as a as an employer, when we started off um, our startup four odd years ago, we didn't know exactly what we wanted, right? <laughs> so <laughs> we wanted to build this cool tech that could process like hundreds and hundreds of gigabytes of geospatial data, terabytes of geospatial data. We didn't know exactly where we were going to go. I think it for us as well that just to specify um, a particular skill set in a job spec is also difficult because we're always so faced like a catch-22 situation. You go out and see what's out there and then try to see that if that fits in your job role or not and try to mend the job role a little bit. So the talent team is always sort of, you know, going back and forth between the managers saying that what the roles really are. But it is a, it is a, it's a really, really tough job to find the right skill set yeah. in the market. I, I'm not sure that there is a, a true progression of uh, sort of capabilities built from the sort of, you know, the grassroots being a geospatial data scientist. So everybody's mixing and matching their skill set at the moment. Yeah, that was something I was going to bring up, is that it looks to me that we're almost within the industry talking to ourselves again, like we, we used to in the in the good old days when it was just oh, yes. going to talk. But we seem to have got into that again, in that we're focused on getting people with EO science skills. But actually, that's not what we need. What we need is some people with the practicality of getting the IT and the infrastructure in place to allow us to do the EO science, which is what we all want to do. Yes. But 
but we're almost we're hampering our own growth by mm. sort of not really knowing who to go and talk to outside of the things that we do day to day. Still, it's happening. And you know, as you said, it's a good old days that used to happen. Uh, but it's still happening that majority of the, before the, the whole COVID thing hit in, um, majority of the, the meetups as well that people will actually go to, there were very much those silo subjects, uh, you know, earth observation, earth observation, geospatial thought rather than sort of bring in a bit more wide variety of sort of topics of discussion even. Yeah. But, uh, but no, I, I, I feel for you. This is, this is uh, something that we need to really break the mold somehow. I really don't know how to. It's a, it's a really tough one because we almost need to go out and talk to IT specialists who are not in our industry, but in a language that they understand. But the problem is, is that maybe we don't know what language they speak. And so that yeah. translation between the two, uh, it's sort of including things like salary expectations, workplace yes. options and how everything works, because... A DevOps person in fintech or in, uh, I don't know, some form of dating app or whatever, I Mm. guess has a very different outlook as to what their career expectations would be compared Mm. to a DevOps person who's come from doing an ecology degree and has sort of fallen into DevOps and really likes it. So no, I've got got a few examples of of the scenarios. Interestingly, I'm, I'm uh, although a geospatial scientist, uh, my background, degree background is I'm a computer scientist. Okay. That's where I started from. I was not a geographer. So, um, so I understand the, the combination of the two. When we started recruiting people, I actually refused to recruit. I'm sorry to say I refused to recruit geospatial people because we were building a software. We were building a cloud platform that could allow us to do geospatial stuff, yeah. right? Um, and the geospatial skill sets didn't include that. So we actually brought in very experienced software developers and taught them what geospatial was in-house. You know, I was an academic before, so I could do that. Yeah. That teaching in, in a sort of startup environment when the growth is quite, it, it's just not sustainable. Right. But we yeah. need that skill set. Yeah. However, I, I'll tell you recently, I mean, I think you, you mentioned somebody as DevOps as an ecology. Recently, we hired somebody who actually, as a, as a software engineer, yep. right? But his first degree is geology. <laughs> right. Yeah. And he sort of switched somewhere during the line, and he decided to to sort of get into more software development. But he upskilled himself in that particular domain, and he's absolutely amazing to work with because when I speak geo, he understands geo. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, at the same time, um, we were developing software. So, yeah, I mean, these these perfect scenarios can happen. So, so that's interesting, though, what you say about that, because I've seen similar sort of examples in, in sort of CVs I've looked at recently and also profiles and things on LinkedIn. Mm-hmm. Do you think, and I, I also recognize you haven't worked in a university for a while, and, and yes. neither have I, but do you think there is more of a role for universities to play in terms of maybe mixing up the types of skills that get taught. So you wrote in the notes that spatial sciences is still very much in in the geography department. Mm. And mm. and you're right, because we're not looking for people necessarily who are geographers, even though we mm. are geographers, but we're looking for people with hardcore computer science skills who mm. can do some geography. But yes. then there will be other people who want some hardcore geographers who can do some computer science. And at the mm. moment, I don't see much evidence of there being courses that do the two. No, no, I'm afraid. I actually sort of tried looking for certain courses. 
Now, at an MSc level, you might find some, yeah. you know, very, very a handful. You can count them on one hand. But at a an undergraduate level, they're non-existent at all. Yeah. Like, you know, but that's where I always thought when I was an academic that those blended degrees were mainly common in sort of undergraduate levels where you yeah. could actually blend years through. But I'm not really sure why the universities have not really picked that on. But, uh, but, but, but at the MSc level as well, it's, uh, it's normally you will see computer scientists going and doing a GIS degree yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and trying to sort of skill up on that side of things. There are some more sort of geoscience or geodata science sort of uh, courses coming up, um, up and running in London as well. So it's nice to see that, but, but look, there's still, I mean, you know, there's still a huge gap in the market. And uh, I am not sure why universities don't realize that gap. Yeah, because, and this is going back a a long time, trust me, but um, the MSc that I did up in Leicester was brilliant MSc in that it was called Earth Observation Science, but it Mm. brought together the physics department, the chemistry department, and the geography department. Mm. And if you now brought in the computer science, those four departments would make an amazing MSc course, I'm sure of it. Absolutely. Yeah, and I think that sort of thing should be encouraged, definitely. I guess, really, in terms of what we've been talking about, we want the universities to try and create workplace-ready graduates. And I guess the graduates want to be workplace-ready. But I find that the skill set required, and Andrew and I have mentioned this in a couple of mm. podcasts in the, in the archive, the skill set required changes so rapidly at the moment mm. that it's very hard mm. to know if you're a student, particularly doing like a three-year course or something, or a four-year mm. course, to know what skills will be required by the time you get out. I think you've sort of alluded to it, but do you find that the skills you're hiring for now are totally different to the ones you were maybe hiring for pre-pandemic and things like that? Um, yes, obviously, uh, because of the growth of the startup as well. Um, yeah, yeah. So, so yes, our requirements are changing and, and so we're evolving as a business. So yes, I mean, those skill sets are, are changing and they, they'll carry on changing. I mean, when we started off, we couldn't display one million points in a point cloud on a web environment, right? Um, the other day, I loaded up 20 billion. So it, it just, uh, it, it's just, now we don't need that, that type of stuff in engineering sort of thing. Our infrastructures are ready. Yes, because the people who actually brought were at that time brought in, they actually built it for us, um, yeah. all the cloud infrastructure. So now we're sort of more into sort of, you know, you know, yes, let's make that front end a bit more responsive. We're talking about performance, a lot more engagement type of thing. So it's it's all, we have the users now. We yeah. want to keep them. Yes, the skill sets are going to be different. But as a business, we we have like two things. Uh, one is that platform where, which consumes the geospatial data. But there's another part of the business which which actually produces the geospatial data. And for that... We're always looking for geospatial people. Right? <laughs> uh, so, yes, I mean, most of my um, um, sort of people in the data team are, are, are geographers, um, right. yeah. you know, and from young from the universities, and they're absolutely brilliant. One thing I still think there is a tiny gap in the universities. It's improving, and, and I know that... I've been out of the university for quite a few years now, but we actually were talking about it at that time. Now the university started to look into it and it's the soft skill set. Right, right. You know, I, I now that I'm in the industry, in the heart of it all, <laughs> uh, I, they are so important. Like more, sometimes more important than the tech skills that you actually bring in. Yeah. It's the tenacity of learning. So it doesn't really matter what sort of a 
languages you've been programming in or what sort of softwares you've been using in GIS. As long as you know the basics and fundamentals and you have the tenacity to learn, I mean... That then brings me on to my next issue. Uh, well, not issue, but my, my next point, which is, so, so Spark Geo UK are looking for exactly the same people as Sensat. Yes. And so we're in competition, but we're not just that's in competition right. with each other. We're in competition with almost every geo company that's out there. How are we going to balance this equation? Because we can't all take a piece of the, the few people who are out there. I think in a, in a job spec, people do look for specifications, like a bit more specific challenges that they would be solving. Perhaps not the technical part of it, but give me a challenge. I've, I've had this in interviews. They said, what is the challenge for me? Where am yeah. I coming in? What value am I bringing in? And yeah. as long as you buy into that challenge, they come in, you know? Yeah. And then yeah. you identify the majority of the skill sets that you cannot live without, and then you look for those. And then rest, you can actually build them, build them within, your, within your culture. Um, so you, they can actually upskill quite quickly if they have the, the ability to do so. Yeah, I guess that's a really important thing if you're on the the candidate side is the fact that you need to be able to grow and learn yourself and, Absolutely. Uh, as well as on the company side. At the moment we're talking, or certainly I'm talking about cloud engineers, DevOps, uh, yes. data engineers, and sort of uh, front-end geospatial developers and stuff like that. And I get the impression that a lot of people are talking about similar types of roles and I was just wondering whether this requirement at the moment for for these roles is basically a short-term thing and that there might be a swap back to more data science roles or whether or not the two will just continue to grow really employers need to understand the difference between the different roles and they need Mm -hmm. to understand the difference between someone coming in to build something new versus someone who might be coming in to maintain something that's already been built Mm -hmm. because again I'm guessing your your sort of systems admin person is very different to your systems build person. And I, I don't mean you, yours, I mean the industry. I think you, you've answered your own question. <laughs> <laughs> but, but no, it's, 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 uh, it's exactly that. Um, I mean, it's, I don't think, I mean, I think you, you, you said that it's a temporary thing. I don't think this is temporary. Um, geospatial. Uh, one thing that I am really, really happy about in the past sort of five to 10 years I've seen in the, in the dev industry, it's becoming mainstream. So even yeah. the, the traditionals of your computer software engineers, uh, your data scientists, they now cannot survive without the geospatial knowledge, yeah. right? So they, they always have to come into it. If you look at, I mean, uh, particularly because I look after the research here, if you look at the majority of the publications and the challenges that are out there, like, you know, the Kaggle competitions or here and there, the data science competitions, they're all very geospatial focused because majority of the data, and then suddenly people start to realize, oh my God, there's a geospatial element to it. Or some sort of earth observation data set is going to solve that issue or help solve that issue. So they're all upskilling. So yes, there's a merger happening and it's here to stay. The data scientist, the geo data scientist, they, I don't think there'll be a separation because the underlying fundamental science behind the data science is, is pretty much the same. It's just the type of data that you actually manage. Is different. Yeah, yeah. Are you seeing a change in the tools that people are coming along with sort of when you're interviewing people? Because I, I've definitely noticed that there used to be a lot of sort of, oh, I do stuff in notebooks or whatever, and I can work up some 
prototypes and things. And that's very much me, mm. by the way. I, I, I have no way denigrating this. That's very much me. Yeah. But now I see that there's much more of a need for that actual software development side of things. Looking at that, from my perspective, that's quite a big shift in the tools that people need mm. to, to know. And, you know, it, I'm getting to grips with the types of uh, tools that are being mentioned around certainly some of the DevOps stuff and some of the cloud mm. stuff. But have you have you found that as well over the last four years or so? Absolutely. I mean, you know, uh, I, in fact, we, we get quite excited about if there's a tool that could do the job for us, you know, um, yeah. better than what we are already doing. I think that there are new tools appearing all over the place. And yes, people bring in new knowledge. This is where... You know, I, I, I personally strongly believe in, and my team does as well, that you bring in people that bring something new to, to the company to, yeah. to improve it, to bring extra value to it. There's no point of in recruiting people that you already are similar to what you already have. Yeah. Because then there is a stale environment. You always need to be learning as a, as a, as a company. So yes, those tool sets, yeah, they change all the time. From yeah. prototyping, even prototyping tools are changing, you know, uh, your, your notebooks are no notebooks anymore. It's just a proper production environment that you can deploy on the web and, and whatever not. And you've got to keep up with it. And I think that's the fun part of it, that the learning never stops. Playing off of what you said there about mm. how uh, you've got to grow and learn off it and grow from that. Do you think that the UK is in a healthy place? I mean, it's, it's really difficult, I suppose, for us to know because we haven't been able to get out to conferences as much as we did before the pandemic, where we could talk to people and we could understand what other people were doing in their industry. Andrew and I, part of the reason that we got going with this podcast was because we could see exciting things happening in North America and we could see exciting things happening in Europe around the open source stuff, certainly in the open data. And we were wondering why that didn't seem to be happening in the UK. Do you think we're in a strong place in the UK? Do you think there's enough candidature out there for these jobs that people want to do this? I want to say yes. I do really <laughs> want to say yes. But uh, I think we're in a good place. Uh, okay, we could be yeah. in a stronger place. I think we're, we're definitely competing with the Americas and then the other places. Absolutely, we are competing. Our academic side of things, and I'm going to go back to it, majority of the publications and then the, the state of the art, the groundbreaking work that is happening in academia, is not filtering into industry fast enough. That's one of the reasons, not the main reason, but one of the reasons that UK is not progressing so fast. If you look at a US market or, or the North American market, their publications or your, your academia filters into industry very, very quickly. And I've seen that when I was working there. So that's one part of it. Then um, we still in UK somehow rely on innovation projects that last for five years. <laughs> yes. <laughs> that needs to stop. Please. Um, <laughs> in, in three and a half years, our company has grown from five people to 70 plus, right? If I was working on a, um, sort of a, a five-year research European funded project, there will be one bit of research I'll be working on. That gap needs to be closed down. It's in another way that I would also give you an example that when the scientists that came in, I wanted to do the research part. I wanted to do the groundbreaking part, right? Oh, yeah. Uh, and then we think, oh, let's just fund a PhD. And I was like, no, because, <laughs> no, 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 because that'll take three years for any type of idea to flourish. That'll take at least three years. And we, uh, we know that in UK, PhDs don't finish in three years, right? <laughs> but you see that that time 
the delay in in producing the outputs that we are actually there's a lot of groundbreaking work happening but it's just a little too slow yeah you know yeah. and um and i think that the startups are taking the lead in the, on that side, side of things um I, i'll tell you another good example of what's happening in uk in that domain is Alan Turing Institute. Yes. They're doing absolutely fantastic stuff. A few years ago, we had a big challenge that we couldn't solve. And that was sort of AI and the computer vision in the 3D world, right? We spoke to Alan Turing Institute. They got PhDs and the brain boxes together for us in a room with pizza and Red Bull for five <laughs> days. <laughs> and oh my God, five days, we had results. Wow, okay. That I absolutely love. And then the best thing of it was, if you look at the website, it still says turing.ac.uk. So why can't the rest of the academia actually yeah. work on very similar principles? And I think uh, we have the brains, we have the ideas, the execution is a little slow. That's been a really great discussion. Loads of really good points. Hopefully, if you're listening to this and you're looking for a job, then you found it interesting and useful. If you're an employer who's looking for candidates, hopefully you found it interesting and useful as well, because we certainly seem to be in an interesting place in the Earth observation sector at the moment. So we encourage you to drop us a line through Twitter using at EOSeenFrom, where you can find a vibrant community based around the podcast. Thanks for listening. And that's it for now. Thanks, Khalid. Bye-bye. Bye. Yeah, the one week of assembly language hasn't really stood me in good stead. <laughs>